0: What's going on, and welcome in to the Sons of Saturday podcast. I'm Tyler Wojcik, joined by Luke Smith, and Notre Dame is 4-0 and ranked third in the country. That's a fact. Another fact is that from this very moment that we're taping this, Notre Dame is set to kick off against Clemson in 19 days, 1 hour, 10 minutes, and 51 seconds. How are we feeling about that, Luke? Uh, Somewhere between nauseous and awful. (laughs) Okay, so not great. (laughs) Notre Dame defeated Louisville 12-7 on Saturday and what was in interesting game to say the least I have to say for me that was probably the least satisfying win by Notre Dame that I've ever watched mostly because since ball state true that ball state we almost lost to ball state in a season that Notre Dame went undefeated people forget. Anyway, mostly because of my personal stake in this one, I wanted Notre Dame to blow out Louisville by 50 so that I could talk trash to all my friends back home. Instead, they won by five. So we're going to break down that game in a second. Then we'll preview Notre Dame's first road game of the season against Pitt. And then we'll wrap things up with an interview with former Notre Dame quarterback Malik Sayer, who was very open and honest about his career. I think you guys will enjoy hearing his side of things. But as for the Louisville game, Luke, you were at a wedding. So
1: how were you even able to see the action on Saturday? So if it wasn't already decided, uh, I'm certainly going to hell after my actions on Saturday. Go um, ahead. You know, I was I was in a mass uh, in Saint Paul, Minnesota. Mass started at one thirty Central Standard Time. Uh, so did Notre Dame Louisville. So you might ask, what was I doing at one thirty uh, Central Standard Time? And, and the answer is, watch Notre Dame football on the altar. Um, <laughs> it was a beautiful ceremony, Saint Paul, from what I retained. From what I retained, because like I said, I was you know otherwise occupied, but congrats to Neil and Claire Jones. However, it was extremely stressful as I had my phone in between my legs on the altar, seeing our receiver struggle to get open against just this god-awful secondary. And then as I'm getting this Apple Watch notification to breathe, it's buzzing my wrist as I wanted to yell obscenities during the priest's homily. Uh, seemed all too fitting. You know, actually, afterwards, I had one of the bridesmaids ask me if I was feeling okay or if I was just super hungover. And I had to explain, Well, you know, I'm sick, but it's because of Notre Dame football. (laughs) And uh, that's why my head was between my legs. I was actually watching the game, and she just kind of gave me a look, but appreciated it, right? Just kind of shows how grossly obsessed I am with this program and, and how important it is in the scheme of my life, I guess. For worse, I'd argue. Um, you know, Notre Dame football is always going to be there. Uh, we're, we're at this reception for the sweating as we're trailing this garbage football team, and I'm streaming on my phone as various toasts are being made, and I just feel like a complete asshole. But uh, thankfully, uh, the Irish survived that 12-7 victory, and, and I'm able to enjoy the rest of a beautiful night. But, yeah, I, I got a Notre Dame football problem.
0: Yeah, you're sick just for multitude of reasons, but Notre Dame <laughs> does happen to be the source. It does seem, though, that – People don't appreciate when you watch sports at a wedding. My parents actually got married during an Indians playoff game back in uh, 1995. Actually, it was October 13th. Their 25th anniversary was last week. So oh, shout out to them. But anyway, yeah, the Indians were playing the Mariners in uh, game three of the ALCS. And the series was tied one-to-one. I think Randy Johnson was pitching, too. I should I should remember this. I've heard this story like a thousand times. But anyway, there was one TV on at the reception and like all the groomsmen and all the dudes at the wedding sort of gravitated to it, you know, to watch a game until my mom found out. She, uh, she pulled the plug on that real fast. So I don't really
1: understand it. Uh, yeah. I'm sure
0: some people didn't take too kindly to you watching. Either. I mean,
1: I made my intentions very clear the night before that that's what I was going to do. And I don't <laughs> think people realized that I was serious. Um, however, fortunately enough, you know, most of the people at the wedding were Notre Dame fans or alums. So, um, the shame was slightly less than it would have been in, in normal society. So let me get this straight. You're, you're at the altar and you got your
0: phone. Like, are you holding it or is, is your hand out? Or are you just making it completely obvious? Or are you trying to be stealthy
1: a little bit? So this was the best thing that's happened through COVID. Um, pretty small ceremony, you know, social distancing enforced. And this church was huge, but they had the wedding party, to the right of the altar, like back in a little crypt, which was awesome because then I was like, "Oh, I can pin this against my leg," and I'm just looking down the whole time. <laughs> I couldn't tell you a you know a word that was said. Um, I think actually the priest was talking about tailgating in his homily, which was kind of odd. What like I said, unfortunately, wasn't paying a whole lot of attention. Um, but yeah, and people just thought I was hungover. Um, no, I was I was watching Notre Dame, and that was making me sick, but not hungover. Um, and then you know at the reception, as we're trailing in the fourth quarter. Kind of disgusted, but we, we end up scoring and, and finally winning that game. And then I was able to enjoy the night. But yeah, um, I can cross that one off the bucket list. I've watched a Notre Dame game on the altar. Sorry, God. <laughs> All right, let's get into that game a little bit. Yeah,
0: it was, uh, as we mentioned, it was not the most enjoyable viewing experience for either of us I was at work and actually I broke character at one point I, on that onside kick I was like god damn it and just <laughs> walked out uh luckily like no one important was in the room but anyway very just interesting game Notre Dame wins 12 to 7 uh I, what was the over under coming into the game it was like in the 50s so yeah well short of that no not even close today we're gonna make this spins of Saturday podcast we're going to take this game we're going to look at some stats or areas of concern for Notre Dame and try to spin it around and into a positive because um, we're delusional Notre Dame fans and this is what we do so let's start off with the obvious the passing game what concerns you the most from that game about Ian Book the receivers
1: take your pick the receivers can't get open Um, and I don't know what it is but Louisville's secondary is awful and Our guys can't get open. I know there's often a lot made about Book having happy feet, and at times I've understood it. But on Saturday watching that game, I mean, the receivers could not get open. Uh, That was a problem, and that's going to be a problem. If we can't get open against Louisville, how the hell are we going to get open against Clemson?
0: Yeah, I I think Book got a lot of flack after the game. And we've talked about this before, the Ian Book experience, first game of the season, and his stats obviously – don't jump off the page by any means. He finished 11 of 19 for 106 yards and no touchdowns. He did have uh, the go ahead, the only touchdown of the game with his feet. <laughs> he made a pretty nice play. That's part of it, right? But I'm with you. I think most of it is on the receivers. And we keep hearing about Kevin Austin. He got about half the snaps that Javon McKinley did and uh, Ben Skoranek as well. Skoranek and McKinley, they're both solid receivers. They block well, they're fundamentally sound, they're good route runners. And they're big enough to make some plays, but they're not going to blow you away athletically by any means.
1: No, certainly not. I mean, I just don't know how we're going to get past that. Uh, We saw a couple flashes out of Kevin Austin, um, unfortunately was not able to drag his toe like Chase Claypool would have gotten both feet down on that touchdown towards the end of the first half. And we need more of Braden Lindsey. I know he's been nagged by an injury, um, but those are our two game breakers, and those guys simply have to play more and make more plays if this team's going to have a fighting shot against an okay ACC opponent, let alone Clemson. One encouraging piece
0: of news today is that on the depth chart, Braden Lindsey was listed as the starter, and Kevin Austin was listed as the or on the depth chart, which basically means other starter with Ben Skoranek. So I went back and I tracked... uh, all of Ian's Book's incompletions in the sacks to try to figure out, you know, is this Ian just doing the happy feet thing again? And uh, the results were not great for the receivers. So of the nine incompletions, I'm including the two-point conversion attempt. One was a TD cut to Austin, like you mentioned. He didn't get the foot in, so that's not really on, on Ian. Four were 50-50 balls that were all won by Louisville defense backs. All four of those were targeted to Javon McKinley. Now, three of them were true 50-50 balls, I'd say. One was more so a drop. He ran a 15-yard comebacker uh, in the red zone and just hit him in the hands. The defender was there, but, I mean, you've got to make a play on at least a couple of those. Three, though, were bad passes that I think you can put on book. Two of them were to Michael Mayer. He had the deep cross in the first and then uh, had Mayer again on the wheel Miss him there, that was was kind of weird because he ran a wheel route and then like kind of sat down for a little bit in the open space of the zone and then kept going. Miscommunication there, but, you know, when it counted, like Book went three for three in the fourth quarter. He went two for two on third downs in the final drive to seal the game. But it's just frustrating, man. It's frustrating that Notre Dame just can't push the ball downfield, especially when you turn on the Alabama-Georgia game and you see Jalen Waddle and Devontae Smith, and it's like they're playing a completely different sport.
1: Yeah, It' It really is. Um, but, you know, I guess the one thing that gives me pause in a positive way where I don't want to maybe overreact is this year just doesn't really seem to have any week in, week out. Nothing's consistent except Alabama and Clemson. I mean, those two are head and shoulders above everybody else. I wouldn't be well, – Even Alabama, they struggled a little bit. Defensively, true, yeah. defensively. And I wouldn't be shocked to see Ohio State in that same sort of caliber once they finally start playing football. But just look at cross-college football. I mean, last week, we were a little bit worried about Notre Dame's defense. I don't think super worried because we thought that was Russ. But the offense looked great, and we thought we had the best offensive line in the country. Uh, This week, book gets sacked four times. Look at Mississippi State, Ole Miss, Kentucky. I I mean, I think a lot of it goes back to COVID and guys missing practice, and it's just really hard to achieve that consistency. Um, But that said, you know, there are a couple other things from that Notre Dame game that I liked um, the defense did seem to return to form more like that Clarkley defense we're used to seeing. John Doar, uh called him out last week a little bit. He was nails, hit, hit the field goal, so good to see that. Um, and Franchise had another solid game on the ground, and he can take 25 carries. We haven't had a back been able to do that in a long time, so that was great to see. And uh, I guess trying to remain positive here as we go into a weird pit game, that's kind of what I'm trying to take away here.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned those four sacks, too. Two of those were coverage sacks. Goes back to the receivers. And then two of them were bad blitz pickups. I don't know. We don't know the play call. We don't know how those assignments are supposed to go. But Ian was basically getting sacked from the moment he touched the ball. So that's a little discouraging. But you're right. The defense looked really solid. I don't know how much of that is like Louisville just not having. I mean, Louisville has some skill players. We mentioned it. Tutu Atwell is one of the fastest players in college football. Cunningham goes 16 for 19. And J. Van Hawkins is a pretty good running back, but Notre Dame held him in check the whole game. I mean, Louisville had that one drive um, in the third quarter where it took him like seven and a half minutes off the clock. But I don't think there's any real concern about the defense going forward up until the Clemson game because, I mean, I mentioned it off the top. Like, we've said it over and over. This is a one-game season for Notre Dame, which which is great because if they beat Clemson, then nothing else matters. This 12-7 game against Louisville, who cares? But it's not great because if they lose, then nothing else really matters either because they could go 10-1, and, and who really cares? They beat up a bunch of bad ACC teams. But it's certainly not like a great sign, especially when Notre Dame was playing on the heels of, of Clemson setting the ACC record for most points in a game against Georgia Tech, a team that beat Louisville. So not a
1: whole lot. Those optics aren't great. Yeah, I got to say, you know, I'm supposed to go to that Irish Georgia Tech game down in Atlanta in two weeks, and I'm a little bit worried that Georgia Tech's just going to cancel its season because I don't know how the hell you come back from that. 73-7, to Trevor Lawrence had five touchdowns before the first
0: half. Yeah.
1: Imagine if he had Justin Ross. Ah, oh, jeez. Honestly, I forgot about Justin Ross. Wow, that, that really depresses me. Okay.
0: Yeah, like, when is the last time Notre Dame recruited a wide receiver like Justin Ross? And that's the thing, really, with Notre Dame's current receiver situation. It goes back to recruiting. Like, last year, Notre Dame recruits three wide receivers. They got Jordan Johnson, who's a five-star recruit, who is just on the bench. And I think a lot of people are a little bit confused as to why. But
1: Have they not watched Brian Kelly the last 10 years of Notre
0: Dame? <laughs> yeah, it's, that's kind of maddening. And then two three-stars. In 2019, not a single wide receiver recruit, which is... Like now coming back to bite him. Other than Cam Hart, who's since moved to quarterback the year before, was actually a pretty solid class in 2018. Kevin Austin was a four-star. Braden Lindsey was a four-star. Lawrence Keyes was a four-star. And even Micah Jones was a three-star, four-star, depending where you look at it. But Austin is uh, unreliable, to say the least, at least in terms of getting on the field. Unproven. Unproven. Spins of Saturday. See, we're being positive here. We're turning all this around positive. Braden Lindsey. I don't know. I mean, it's definitely not encouraging when your speed demon wide receiver is dealing with nagging hamstring injuries no. all year. I don't know if that like he played, he got two snaps. So I don't know. I don't know what the deal is there. And then Keys missed with a concussion. Yeah, he has one catch on the year. So a year before that, one receiver, Michael Young, three star. He transferred, and then going back to 2016, Javon McKinley was actually rated higher than Chase Claypool, which I think we can call that a miss. Can
1: uh, <laughs> can Claypool? Where where are the Steelers playing on Sunday? Can he just come out to Heinz Field and suit up on Saturday? I wouldn't hate that. It's ridiculous
0: what he's doing to the NFL. He made the Browns. Well, I mean the Browns suck. We know this. <laughs> Side note: did Notre Dame ever run Claypool? That's Not like once. a staple now. At the Steelers Not offense. Once. Okay. <laughs> All right, maybe we should have done that. But <laughs> look, that's sort of the situation as it is, though. Notre Dame is super. I don't want to say weak at receiver, but definitely unproven, like you mentioned. And if Notre Dame can't get open against Louisville, who can't, this is the same Louisville team that gave up 52 points to Miami. I, I, again, if if Austin and Lindsey are back and they're ready to go against Clemson, this might be a whole different conversation. But if they're not ready...
1: like I mean, those guys, I think those guys just have to play a bunch of snaps the next two weeks. I mean, they have not played a lot of football this year. And... We absolutely need them if we don't want to get our pants pulled down in Notre Dame Stadium on November 7th. So, I mean, if I'm saying this, you know, I'm an idiot. I'm sure Brian Kelly and Tommy Rees are well aware of it. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how these next two weeks progress. And I guess moving into that, how do we feel about going to Pittsburgh on Saturday? Uh, I absolutely hate playing them. How do you feel? I second that. Playing against Pitt is
0: just, it's never easy. In the last 12 years, Notre Dame has played Pitt eight times. They've won five of those games. But the average margin of victory by either team is five and a half in those eight games. Not one of those was aesthetically pleasing. (laughs) Uh, The one game against Pitt that was actually like semi-comfortable was in... uh, 2015, yeah, 2015, Notre Dame won 42-30. Will Fuller had like three touchdowns before the first half. And there's always something weird. Like in 2013, like Stephon Tuitt goes out in the first quarter because of a weak-ass targeting call. Yep, That suck changes the whole game. 2012, the three-overtime game that everyone remembers.
1: Yeah, Ray Graham's playing even though he's a convicted felon for Pitt and running all over us. Yeah, that was one of my least favorite days in that stadium. Thank God we survived it. <laughs> And now Pitt is coming
0: into this game. They've lost three straight. Now, last week, they didn't have their starting quarterback, Kenny Pickett. He was out with an ankle injury. He's expected to be back this week. But in those three losses, they've only lost by a total of 14 points. I don't feel good about this, especially coming off that Louisville game. I think this is a huge, huge proving game for the offense. If Notre Dame is 10 and a half point favorites.
1: That seems yeah. way too high. We've covered once all season, right? Um, yeah, and the other thing that— we haven't mentioned. Pat Narduzzi hates Notre Dame, hates them, and always gets his guys up to play. This goes back to his days as defensive coordinator at Michigan State. Um, he always gives us a game, and I don't like him, but um, I'm pretty nervous. To be honest, this game kind of feels a little bit like 2013 to me. Um, this Notre Dame team reminds me a little bit of the 2013 team. I don't know why that is, but they do. I'd like to think the Irish pull it out Saturday, and, and hopefully, comfortably so, but. It's also kind of weird, you know, they came out with their travel plans today. They are flying out of South Bend after a team meal late Friday night, getting into Pittsburgh late Friday night and then going out there and playing a two thirty game. Why the hell are you doing that? I like I get the COVID thing, right? But just go like a normal road trip. Like, don't make things more complicated. That is a recipe for disaster, in my opinion. Yeah, I saw you chew that. I don't know. I mean, how long is the flight? Pit? Probably I would guess, like, it can't be that long, right? I I thought we might have busted it in the past, honestly. Um, but I, I still don't like that. I mean, we know how football players and coaches are. They're creatures of habit. And I'm interested to see how Notre Dame adjusts to a kind of a wacky travel schedule.
0: I don't know if I hate that as much as you do, just because I think distance-wise it's not that far. The flight's not that bad. If they were traveling a little bit further, I would think – Little bit differently, but I, I don't know. I, I don't I don't think that's gonna be that big of a difference, although we have to point out that right before we started taping this, Notre Dame's latest COVID test results came back and one more positive test on the team and then
1: another player is out due to contact tracing. Can we call it uh can we call it implicated in contact tracing? It sounds more criminal that way, and that seems to be <laughs> how we are treating these guys. So uh he's implicated in contact tracing. <laughs> it would suck so much to just be implicated. I'd rather get in the damn thing. <laughs> Yeah,
0: then to have to sit there for two weeks and you don't even have it. God, that would suck. But, yeah, so that's going to be something to watch in the next coming days. I think you and I both have no doubts that Notre Dame is the more talented team, top to bottom, but there's just something about playing Pitt. They're the new Navy. Well, maybe let me rephrase that. They're not the new Navy. They're just
1: the Navy of this year. I remember going back to, like, 2004, Tyler Paco, like, just tearing us up. There's I, a name. I, I hate Pittsburgh. They are just so, like, kind of just there. But then they always get up for Notre Dame. And I hate them, and it goes back to Tyler fucking Paco. Who is Tyler Paco? Lefty quarterback know. for Pitt in, like, 2004. Beat us at home. Um, this yeah, is disgusting. I probably weren't expecting this. to hear a Tyler Paco reference on Sons of Saturday, but but here we are. He actually does weekly broadcasts. He'll be at the game for uh, Pitt. so Maybe I'll tweet at him. <laughs> you want to give a score prediction? So what you would like to see as a Notre Dame fan is for the offense to really find itself, you know, establish something in the passing game here and put up some points. Thing is, Pitt's got a pretty good defense. Um, I think it's like 22-13 Irish. I don't think we cover. I think it's a low-scoring game. I'm going 22-13 Irish. All right, I'm going to go 19-13. to Ugh. We have to watch this. I, I'm certainly – I'm telling you right now, I'm going to watch this game in an apartment. I'm not going to any bar because I'm going to be way too agitated to be around people. It's Monday night, and we're already pissed off about yeah. how this game is oh, going to go. jeez. Against a 3-3
0: three and three pit team that's, like, probably going to finish uh, at the bottom of the ACC. I really a hope we're case. wrong.
1: I really hope we're wrong because um, that's happened before, and it'll happen again. So let's hope we're wrong.
0: That's true, actually. Reverse psychology here. On Saturday, I texted before the game. I've changed my mind. I think Notre Dame wins by 50, and then they win by (laughs) 5. Whereas before the USF game, I was like, I'm nervous. And then they beat South Florida by 50. So maybe we're just using a little reverse psychology here, and Notre Dame actually blows them out. That's about it for the pick game. So let's get to the Malik Zaire interview. It's hard not to think about what could have been for him at Notre Dame if he didn't get hurt, but he has a great attitude about the whole thing that we'll get into, so now I'll just let you hear it from him. Here he is, Malik Zaire all right I'm super excited about this we're joined now by former Notre Dame quarterback Malik Zaire who's joining us from Los Angeles so he's clearly living pretty well right now so how have you been man Uh,
2: (laughs) I've been good man thanks for having me it's LA man it can't get much better than this uh, you talked a little crap about Ohio earlier, so I don't really know if I can vibe with that too much.
0: I, I'm from Ohio, so it's okay.
2: Me too. I'm from Ohio. As I'm saying, that, man. So
0: I lived in Medina, which is south of Cleveland for the, my first 11 years, so people outside of Ohio can't talk trash about it, but if you're from there, like it's totally fine.
2: Okay, that's very valid. Here we go. That's very valid. <laughs>
1: Now, now speaking of uh, of Ohio, coming out of high school, you were a consensus four-star recruit, you know, had offers from Ohio State, Alabama. And at the time, Notre Dame had just had a freshman quarterback take them to the national championship. So what compelled you to to leave your home state and, and decide to go to Notre Dame?
2: Yeah, man. Uh, one, it was just the fact that if you can be a quarterback at Notre Dame, you have a really good chance at uh, playing in the league. And at the time, you know, Gunnar Keel had committed to Notre Dame he was the number one uh, in the class before me and I was just super competitive and just wanted to be the best quarterback in the country and I was like well you know if I can go to Notre Dame and start then there's no way I couldn't be considered the best quarterback in the country because I would have to go through all those guys play on a team that just came from national championship play on the schedule and the stage that Notre Dame is on and then win on top of that. So, you know, if I felt like if I even did half as good in that opportunity, I would have a chance to go to the league and, and do big things. So, um, you know, it was obviously at the time a hectic decision considering, like I said, Gunnar Keogh was number one. He just went. Ev just started his first year. They won the national championship. Uh, Tommy and uh, Hendrix were still there. So it was still uh, a lot going on, but I just had faith. That if I go shake it up, then I was meant to be there.
0: When you get to campus, you know, you're the next highly touted quarterback recruit, but it was a pretty crowded quarterbacks room, like you mentioned, and you're all fighting for one spot. So how would you describe your mentality during the early portion of your career?
2: Well, when I first got there, because I went to school early, I graduated early, the first practice, everything folded how it was supposed to. In my mind, I mean, look, Ev something happened, Ev, he wasn't even there when I got to the when I got to school. And then Gunner left before we even started spring ball. So I'm going into my freshman year. It's just me and Tommy and Hendricks, and they were two fifth-year seniors. So my first year going in, I'm like, well, it started as crazy, but this sounded like the perfect position for me to be in. Like, all I got to do is just play well and, and, and take advantage of my opportunity. And there's no way I don't start four years straight. I mean, I had nobody above or below me at the time. So uh, it, it just kind of worked out perfect.
0: One quick follow-up on that. Once Everett rejoined the team, what was the relationship like between you two? Because like you said, it seemed like you had a clear path to the starting spot, and then he comes back, and now it's a completely different situation.
2: Well, yeah. um, You know, I spent that whole year on the team. You know, I had thought throughout the year I was going to have a chance, considering, you know, we wasn't the best team at the time, and, you know, we wasn't playing great at the position towards the end, so, you know, I thought I was going to get a chance. I didn't, but you know, I had four years and nothing. I didn't even know if Ed was coming back at the time. So, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking there's no way I don't start the next year because Ev wasn't even here for a full year. You know what I mean? Like how – and we changed the offense at the time and we undid so much. And I had been with the team that whole year, so it, it just made sense in my mind, you know what I mean, obviously. So we get into fall camp. And two days in the camp, they name him the starter. So I'm just like, yeah, that's when you start learning about, you know, the politics of it and, um, you know, how, how things are. And, you know, Ev, all due respect to Ev, I think Ev's a great quarterback. And, I mean, if anything, he had the most chance of opportunity, I will say, out of all the quarterbacks Coach Kelly has had at Notre Dame so far from just the position that, you know, he was in. He had a lot of opportunity to really – you know, he did great things, but he really could have took it off the top, um, you know, in that standpoint.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, and you bring that up. Obviously, Ev gets a bunch of chances. Name the starter and that 2014 season. It, it's just kind of a roller coaster. I mean, it goes from kind of the highs of highs where for a second there, you think he beat Florida State. And then, of course, there's that, you know, notorious offensive pass interference call. And then it kind of all goes downhill from there. But then you finally get your shot as – the Starter in the Music City Bowl against LSU. So, once Coach Kelly names you the starter, what was the lead up to that moment like, and, and how did it feel to finally get that chance?
2: Well, you know, I've always throughout the year I felt like I should have gotten the opportunity to do something. Um, you know, the way the season was going, we well, at Notre Dame, if you lose one your one or two big game of the year, you know you ain't going nowhere for no you know playoff or championship, which is why you even go there. So. Once we lost those one or two games, I think it was like against Louisville and Florida State, I said, okay, well, we're not even going to the championship no more, so you might as well let me play. I mean, at, at the time, we was having a lot of turnovers in the position, um, a lot of games that we should have been, you know, in the clear lead of, and I, I was feeling better and better about my play, even though I, it wasn't uh, manifesting itself at the time. So um, the USC game came, and... I'm playing with a pissed off, angry, you know, because I'm like, you and wasted the whole year. You know, I could have been at least given something different. And so the USC game, we actually could have won, but he waited so long, you know, to make a change until we started getting blown out. And then, you know, he, I was always ready, but then he called me. He was just like, all right, go in. Because I knew it was kind of – I'm like, how many more turnovers can we look at before you look at me? I mean, oh, my God, the whole season I'm watching fumbles, picks, turnovers, dumb stuff happening. And not one time was he looking my way when it's weird because Coach Kelly is notorious for pulling guys like it's nothing. And I'm like, you know, watching the spring games, I'm fully capable of playing well from watching the spring games. So I'm like, I'm confused with what's really going on. So – you know, it took until like the umpteenth time in the, UST, in the USC game we get blown out. He's like, all right, go in. So I'm just ready. And, you know, it kind of took off from there. The first three plays, we scored touchdowns. touchdown. So I knew I was meant to uh, be there. I knew I was meant to play uh, and be in that position. And, you know, the things that we could have got if I was to continue to have that opportunity could have been, you know, limitless. So...
0: How validating was that for you then? You finally get your chance. You play great. You even won MVP. And I remember watching the post-game interview, and you were very emotional. So how did you feel in that moment?
2: Well, yeah, I was super emotional, man. It's just like, you know, when you feel like you're getting – when you feel like you've earned something for so long, and it just feels like you have haters all the time, and you finally, like, overcome that, and you're, like, big middle finger to everybody in a way, like – but, you, but it's more of like you're proving to yourself that you can do it. And that's just what I was just so happy about is that I can prove to the guys on my team that I could play because I never got the chance in a game to do it. So, you know, you always fight with that. Man, they probably think I suck for real because I'm getting yelled at in practice or I'm not getting a chance to really do what I can do because we're not tackling or we're not going for a goal so I don't get to really play. So the LSU game, it kind of just – It all like hit me at one moment when I was able to get out there and really play. And even in that game, he wouldn't let me start the whole thing. Like he was still trying to put me in and out the whole time. And I had to go to the length of winning the damn MVP to get like, this is how crazy this guy was. So it took all of that, you know, and we finally did it and we was on a roll and uh, we ended the year really good.
0: So we go to 2015, and it's your time. Like, Golson, he transfers to Florida State, and you're QB1. So before the season, like in fall camp, how much pressure did you feel as the new starting quarterback at Notre Dame? Did you feel like your life changed or maybe the outside world treated you a little bit differently now that you are the starter? Notre Dame had just come off two relatively disappointing seasons, but yet Notre Dame was on the cover of Sports Illustrated, so expectations were still sky high. How was that for you?
2: Yeah, we was fitting our rings after the fall camp. Like, I was, we was ready to win the whole thing. Like, we could have played the Patriots. We could have played Gamma. <laughs> it didn't matter. We was, we was coming out of fall camp that season, and deservingly so from who we had on our team and just the team spirit and team culture. There was a, It was a reason why we was on ESPN that year. It was a reason why we was ranked that high. It was a reason why, you know, things were happening, how it was happening going into the season. So I didn't feel no type of way. I was just like, man, finally – I can drive the car and we can drive it to the right places and and get to where you need to go. So um, it was just, it was really joyous, man, having finally the support to be able to go and do your job at a high level. You know, we were clicking on all cylinders coming out of camp. And that's just the result of, you know, um, being smart with how you go about your play, your your, your depth chart and stuff. So um, we had a great team coming out of fall camp. I felt great. Shoot, we played great. <laughs> I mean, it, it was it was happening good for
1: us. I mean, speaking of, of clicking on all cylinders, that Texas game to open up 2015, I mean, I know how much fun that was for me. That was my first game as a student there, and you were just in a zone on, like, kind of anything I've ever seen. I think you only had, like, three incompletions, 300-something yards, three touchdowns. How fun was that, playing in that game for you?
2: Well, it was the first game starting at home, man, and, uh, you know, everything built from recruiting – You know wanting to be the Notre Dame starting quarterback just helping the team win a national championship everything coming into that that moment again where you playing a power five traditional top five team or whatever in Texas you know the whole team is set and ready you've been working with the guys all all season it felt it feels right you know and then you go in you just execute on the things you've been you know personally seeing in your mind when you go to sleep at night and then you know, seeing it in the vision of in reality and, and seeing your teammates respond. And, you know, like you said, everything was clicking because we, we've been working so hard together as a unit. So um, on top of the talent that we had, I mean, we made it look easy. It was a point where we was even telling people we was going right and left. And it didn't matter because, I mean, you got that offensive line that we had. You had CJ. You had all the guys we had really making plays. And um, it was a, it was a fun time.
0: Yeah, the 2015 season is weird, because even though you guys had a lot of success, it still feels like somewhat of a disappointment because of the countless injuries on the roster, and it's hard not to think what could have been without so many guys getting hurt. And it all started in that Texas game, really. Uh, Taron Folson went down with an ACL, Durham Smythe went down for the year, and then you go down the next week against Virginia. So when you think back on 2015, do you look at it from the perspective that everything happens for a reason, or how do you reflect on that?
2: Yeah, I think it definitely happens for a reason. A lot of good things as well as things that were unexpected happened that season. I mean, we got to see uh, early Josh Adams, you know, come on the scene. Uh, Shoot, CJ's whole career from 2015 was based off of, you know, early injuries and him getting the opportunity to step in that running back and ball out like he's doing. And, you know, he's even playing today. I mean, Will Fuller, you know, coming into more of a role. And, I mean, you know, we had – a lot of things that didn't go right. So um, that's just from my perspective, obviously, it didn't go right because I wish I was playing every game. But um, it happened how it was supposed to. You know, I think um, looking back and regretting it is something that you can spend hours on. I know we had the potential of being, you know, I mean, we had – you look at the draft from that year, we had a lot of guys get drafted, a lot of guys get picked up, a lot of guys that are playing today uh, and even are the stars of some of their teams today coming from that one team that year we had. So um, it's needless to say that the potential we had was was there. I mean, that season we lost two games by four points to uh, one team that had Deshaun Watson in the history and story he had. And another team was a Christian McCaffrey, who was dang near MVP of the league uh, last year. So um, we was amongst some of the best teams that year, and, you know, it happened how it happened. And we even played Ohio State that year. I mean, they had Zeke and Mike. I mean, it was just yeah. Yeah. ridiculous.
0: So we get to 2016, and it's, you know, it's been well documented that there was a quarterback controversy because Deshaun comes in after you go down, and you were promised the starting job again once you got hurt. And so I don't want, really want to get into that. Just really, how did you react to the outside world throwing in their opinions, and what was your process week in and week out during that camp and throughout you know a pretty tumultuous season?
2: Man, 2016 was just a real big learning experience. Uh, A lot of it was just learning from the the outside looking in. A lot of it just felt like you couldn't control. You know, you get tossed into these fictitious competitive drama type of deals that, you know, do nothing but take away from, you know, being cohesive as a unit going into the season. And, I mean, it was just a result of that. I think any team that goes through that ridiculous quarterback competition especially the ones that I've been through proved to never work for a team as a unit and you know you get things that happen like four and eight and everybody having to get leave and get fired so um, it was a learned experience on many levels Uh, a lot of a uh, inter uh, personal focus on you know my own attitude and emotions experience something like that because it's unexpected and uh, you know you learn that it's a result-based business, and even if coaches believe that they're doing the right thing, the results are going to show for itself. And so, uh, you know, you can look at your mistakes and evaluate that, and obviously they turned it around the next year. So that experiment, I guess, from 2016 helped Coach Kelly extend his contract a little longer.
1: Absolutely. but So I guess kind of from from your perspective, obviously, 2016 – Didn't go exactly how you wanted it to. So you make the decision to to transfer from Notre Dame. And I'm just kind of curious, how would you describe that experience, picking a school and and then joining a brand new team, knowing you'll only be there for a year? Because obviously it's different than the original recruitment process where you're going there for your entire career. This is just, you know, going through, this is a one-year kind of a business decision. What what was that experience like?
2: Oh man, Um, you know, it was like a, a preliminary round of what a rookie season would be like uh, mm-hmm. as a quarterback, going into a new environment, new teammates. At the time I was going to the SEC, which was like a G league for the NFL and a lot of opinions. So um, for me, it was just like, let me practice or get my, my fresh round of seeing some competition on a, on a scale where a lot of drafted guys are, are at, as opposed to, you know, going to like a Miami or something of, Ohio or, you know, not even a max school per se, but something that wasn't of the level of like a Florida. Right. So, um, and then get opportunity to just learn a, a offense that uh, is going to be around something that you would see in the NFL setting. I mean, we have very uh, common terminology with NFL uh, playbooks and offensive schemes and stuff. And plus I had a really good uh, connection with Charlie Fry who, who, got me in and in, in kind of involved in uh, getting that process going with Florida from a, a aspect of just an interest level. So um, I really like the things that he teaches from just a, a quarterback standpoint, that's beyond just a playbook of a school. It's just, just the intangibles of how to, you know, uh, survive in the league, let alone just get there. So um, those are the things that I really took up on. And I learned a lot from, so uh, it ended up working for me in that in that way, like I got a lot of, of experience of learning about the game uh, just the the result I didn't get to experience the same opportunities but uh um, it was a learning experience.
0: So kind of on that note, even though you haven't been playing for a couple years, you're still very much involved in the game. You've been doing some coaching and uh, some quarterback training as well. So I want to ask you to put on your coaching hat for this question and talk about this year's Notre Dame team. What impresses you the most about Notre Dame's current starting quarterback, Ian Book, and what do you think he can prove upon the most to really take his game to the next level as the season moves forward?
2: Uh, First, I just think it's impressive the way he's found consistency and and being able to be available on the field and just – his, uh, his way of making plays that, um, you know, he's been able to put up a lot of numbers. I mean, it's not easy to be a starting quarterback at Notre Dame, let alone play for that long like he's been playing under Coach Kelly. And then on top of that, set the numbers that he's been able to set. So uh, the longevity in his career is super impressive for a kid like that. And, um you know, I think the biggest thing about Ian is that He's going to do all the right things. He's not going to lose you the game, per se. So uh, I think that fits very well with what Coach Kelly loves in his offense is because, you know, Coach Kelly's going to bring his recruiting and, you know, his business savvy to the team. So he's going to get you the best and and some of the the best talent and coaches around you. You just got to, as a quarterback, be in a position not to lose it. So Ian has done great in being able to manage the – the talent and get wins and, and put up numbers for himself. Um, you know, you can't deny that. I mean, he almost passing Tommy, I think, uh next week on passing touchdowns, which is, you know, his coach. So, you know, it's, it's, kudos to him on that. Uh from a an aspect of what he should work on, I mean, you know, he's at the point in his career where he's gonna give you nine or ten wins, eight or ten wins in his in his in the season. The only thing it comes down to, which is the, the mystique of Notre Dame and as well as the burden that's on the shoulders of the quarterback is you got to win those one or two big games. If one, you want to be remembered. And two, if it means anything, you know, you can put up a bunch of numbers and stack pack but if you ain't winning them playoff games, if you ain't winning them games that can decide your playoff fate. And if you ain't beating your rivals when you need to, then you know, different than going to coastal Carolina in the eyes of a, you know, the Notre Dame fandom. So, you know, for him, you, he's gotten all the things that he needs to do, not to lose down pack. Um, them it games and them, them games that can really take him to the next level of like a Clemson this year or, you know, stay beating our rivals can never do that. But them Georgia games and them games when we go to California, you got to pull them off. You know, that's just the responsibility of a Notre Dame quarterback that wants to be, you know, solidified and, you um, we've always had the talent to get there. Uh, it's just, it just takes a it factor in the quarterback to really make it happen. And I mean, we saw glimpses of it, you know, when it, when it's clicking and it's hot, you know, uh, coach Kelly Notre Dame team looks pretty damn good. But, uh, you know, when we start slacking at the QE position a little bit, you know, we, we don't have the same success. So uh, the proof and result has always been at the quarterback position.
1: Yeah. And you talk about, being remembered at Notre Dame. And, and I think I'd certainly say that, you know, people still think very fondly of you and your, your time at Notre Dame. But I guess just from your perspective, what are you most proud of from your time at Notre Dame?
2: Um, I'm really just proud. I got, I proved it to myself that I could really, you know, come from Dayton, didn't even know about Notre Dame, but find out about Notre Dame through how I was playing and find myself in a, you know, a spot that, you know, not many people get the opportunity to even get a chance to go doing all the right things. So, um, and I'm a black quarterback going to Notre Dame that's left-handed. I mean, you can't get too much different than that. I mean, you got the kid coming in with Tyler uh, Buchner, who's going to be a a sensation. I can't wait to watch him. I think he's going to be pretty good. But, um, you know, next to that, I mean, you know, doing things that are uncommon is something that uh, I believe you got to do to make a name for yourself and then taking advantage of those opportunities when you get a chance, man. It was a lot of times where, you know, if I didn't take advantage of the opportunity at the USC game, who knows if I ever would have got a chance, you know, regardless of the fact that we was getting blown out and all this other stuff that was going on. And if I didn't do well in that chance, I got to start playing half the game. Who knows where I would have been after that, you know what I mean? So it, it just shows you that it don't take much, but if you can uh capitalize in those those few and those few moments at Notre Dame, you can really make a, a lasting memory. All
0: right, this has been awesome. So we'll wrap it up with a few rapid fire questions. All right. First one, biggest trash talker on the team when you were there. Oh
2: man. Me probably. <laughs> <laughs> I, I talk a lot of trash. I mean, we had some really good upstanding guys. Like, I mean, you got Corey Robinson who was the student body president. I mean, how much trash can you really get out of that guy? Like, <laughs> So it's you? Yeah, I would say me, but I mean, you know, Kavari is a huge one. I forgot about Kavari. Kavari probably – Kavari talked more trash than anybody, and then I would say me, but mine was more like playful. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's good. Uh, you brought up earlier being a left-handed quarterback. Um, in your opinion, who's the best left-handed quarterback of all time?
2: Of all time, probably Mike Vick, because that's who I got my motivation from. Okay. Um, And then – I based my career off of trying to, like, be up there with him in some respect. So I would have to say him. But uh, other than that, hopefully, is is somebody else coming up.
0: Okay. Most hostile road environment you ever played in at any level?
2: Probably my high school, my first game starting, the Alter Fairmont game. The whole city comes out. Uh, you know, had to be 12,000 people at the time. And my first time starting high school for all those people it was kind of crazy going from that, uh, and going from a freshman year where you like playing in front of like your little sister and your mom's aunt or something like so that was a pretty cool experience for me. But winning that game gave me the confidence to play in front of a bunch of people like at Notre Dame. Gotcha.
1: And and now, the recurring question we ask every Notre Dame student, what is the strangest thing you've ever seen at Club Fever or in any South Bend bar?
2: Oh, my gosh. Okay, so the craziest thing that I saw my freshman year is the Lafun Fun uh, Zom walk thing. That was probably the craziest thing I've ever seen in a, in a live setting. It's because I was an early enrollee. <laughs> And I think that was the last year they did it because if they were to do that today, you know, who knows where things would go. But (laughs) freshman year, that was like the first week of me being there because I went in the second semester, blew my mind. But uh, that was probably the craziest thing. Zom House is definitely the craziest dorm on campus. But maybe it's changed. I haven't been there. They got a whole new side to the building (laughs) of the stadium. So it looks totally different.
0: All right, Malik. This has been awesome. Uh, be sure to follow him on Twitter at Malik Zaire Eight on Instagram at Overtime Malik. He's got on the other hand podcasts as well as his new show on Instagram TV. He's all over the sports media map, and it was a pleasure to have you on, man. So thank you very
1: much.
2: Thanks for having me, man. Shout out to you guys, Domers forever. We in the building, man.
1: And that's a wrap with Malik Zaire. Obviously. Very candid, and I understand why. Reflecting back on that 2016 season, I myself was certainly a team Malik guy, if we're being honest. He was so likable, and really all we had seen from him was him beat LSU and tear up Texas. So I was super in on him. I remember sitting at the O'Hare Airport, actually, about to fly out to Austin for that Texas game, and I thought Malik Zaire was going to lead us to the college football playoff. Obviously, did not go that way either from an individual standpoint or a team standpoint. Uh, Notre Dame went 4-8, and eight and Malik really saw spot playing time most of the year. But thinking back on that, uh, it's sad to kind of see how that went, and, and he he got screwed. Nothing's fair, but no doubt about it, he got screwed. But I guess more than anything, talking to him reminded me how awful that 2016 season was and just how far Notre Dame has come from it. His injury in 2015 has to be one of the bigger
0: like what-ifs, uh, in recent Notre Dame football history, just the domino effect that sort of came after that because Deshaun Kaiser even said before that injury, like, he was considering not just leaving the Notre Dame football program but quitting football entirely and, like, going back to baseball. So then he comes in, yeah. he does really well. When Malik said, like, we were sizing up our rings after the 2015 fall camp, like, that that hurt, man. Like yeah. that, 20, We've talked about this before. That team was just so loaded with talent. The left side of the offensive line alone – two all pro players in Ronnie Stanley and Quentin Nelson. So it's just so many injuries on that season. It was every game. It felt like afterwards you hear about another starter out for the rest of the year. By the end of the season against Ohio state, we were playing just like a shell of what the depth chart was going into the Texas game. But I think he had a really good attitude about everything. I mean, like you said, everything happens for a reason and uh, he seems to be doing pretty well for himself now.
1: Yeah, no, hard to, hard to argue with that. Um, Really happy to see he's kind of found some strong footing there and and doing some really cool stuff with overtime as well as calling games. He's always got a fan. Uh, I'm always in his corner, so awesome to see that.
0: Yeah, really appreciate him coming on, and uh, he was a fun interview. He was open and honest and was really cool. So that's about it for this episode. Luke, you got any final thoughts?
1: Let's hope we're wrong about our pit predictions and we roll Saturday. That's all I got. That's it. All right. Thank you guys for listening. Please rate, review, and subscribe. And
0: we'll talk to you again next week, same time, same place.